Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter, beginning at the 14th verse. Hear now God's word to you for this day. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled and they took up what was left of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full and all those who ate were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Holy wisdom, holy word. The miracle story of what is termed the feeding of the 5,000 can be viewed as a far-fetched tale. We can't fathom it's true because it is simply not possible that five loaves and two fish fed the crowd that followed Jesus, abandoning all common sense. Men, women, and children in blind obedience follow this new miracle worker, Jesus, the successor to John the Baptist, who is stirring up quite a reputation. This healer, teacher, compassionate leader who had a tribe of followers comes to the outskirts of town, taking the crowd to a deserted place, and they follow, and the momentum builds. But what is hidden behind this story is that Jesus is trying to get a break. In the passage right before the one we read for today, he has just learned from the disciples of John the Baptist that Herod has beheaded John. And the absolute shock of that revelation and the details of what transpires lands Jesus in what we might assume was a deep grief. Jesus needs time to let the situation come into full view. Jesus needs time to process it. Jesus needs space to realize that with John's work finished, his work takes on epic proportions and he needs some rest. He gets in a boat and heads for a deserted place, but the word is out on him and as he goes ashore, the crowds thicken and follow him. It was a great crowd, about 5,000 men with women and children. You can imagine that it swelled to about 20,000 people. And it may be out of Jesus' own scarcity of energy that he views the enormous need of the crowd with compassion. The scripture says when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them, and he cures the sick ones. So taking a breath, 
the story sort of winds down a bit. As a matter of fact, it's somewhat predictable. It's starting to get dark. The babies are beginning to get fussy. Granddad probably needs his evening meal. Moms get nervous because they know what happens when the blood sugar in teens drops, even though they certainly didn't have it in those terms. And the crowd begins to stir, realizing they've followed this compelling healer to a deserted spot, and the sun is setting. It is the disciples of Jesus who approach him with what is very obvious. They often seem to bring the obvious and sometimes annoying word into the picture. In case you didn't notice, it seems to be, Jesus, that you've taken us to the middle of nowhere, out here where there are no villages with markets to buy the food, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, isn't this the time to send these folks on their way before things get too out of hand? Well, Jesus, right? And maybe catching his eye, they have a kind of blaming edge in their comments. But there is likely a we-know-better-than-you edge to it as well. Well, at this point, I love to imagine the look on Jesus' face. Does he raise his eyebrows with a bit of really gesture? Does he take a deep breath and let it out slowly, understanding the disciples' worry? Or does he simply, plainly, without much ado, just look them in the eye and say, keep them here because you have the power, the possibility, yes, you can tap into the miraculous life I'm about to give you here right now, right away. And then he cuts to the chase. You give them something to eat. What? We don't have anything here except five loaves and two fish, they say, fishing around in the satchel that might be a bit wet from the little unexpected launch across the sea. We don't have anything. And how often do we also say the same thing? We don't have anything to give. We don't have anything to offer. We don't have anything to bring. When the nominating committee calls and says, will you be a deacon? Will you be an elder? Will you be a trustee? Do you also say, I don't have anything? Well, maybe a little something, but not enough. Or when a capital campaign host for a cause you care deeply about comes to you with what seems to be a preposterous ask and you find yourself shrugging it off as sort of a compliment, but totally beyond any possibility, even if the stock you invested in 20 years ago has gone through the roof. Or when a neighbor comes over to ask your six-year-old to watch their fish for a few days while they're visiting a sick relative, Truly, just put a little fish food in the aquarium and your little one blushes because she's scared of such a big responsibility. And you stand by ready to lift it off because you don't want to have expectations. Well, yes, like the disciples, we all default to a scarcity mentality. But Jesus calls the disciples out. Or more accurately, he states it plainly. You give them something to eat. You have what they need. You are hungry. They are hungry. The world is hungry. 
and still fumbling to see if there might be something they've missed, the plain talking Jesus simply says, bring them here, the bread and the fish. And taking the bread, he lifts it before them and he gives thanks with a blessing. He breaks it and hands it to the disciples to give it to the crowds. And at that intersection of miracle and the disciples' hands delivering the bounty, all are fed, all are satisfied. Yes, there were 12 baskets left, bounty, abundance, a miracle? Well, rather than dismiss the miracle as something far-fetched, something out of the realm of possibility, the miracle comes to our 21st century modern mind, blowing it open. Wendell Berry, the farmer poet, once said, those of us who dwell in the time we call modernity do not easily recognize miracles because we've lost any sense of the very miracle of life. To treat life as less than a miracle is to give up on it. Let me repeat that. To treat life as less than a miracle is to give up on it. I agree. And the true miracle was that it ends with lavish abundance for those fed and the disciples who must have been smiling, not to mention Jesus, who knew they had it all along. The miracle here is that beyond the scant holding of life is that there is abundant life. Jesus said, I come to you that you would have life abundant. And this is not just a good life, a life that you claw your way to the top and then rest on your laurels, proud of your accomplishments. No, life abundant that Jesus talks about is one that begins with that deep, growling hunger, the morsel of a couple stale rolls and a little dry fish and it arises from overwhelming need, realizing that to address it, we must lean on the power and generosity of God's bounty. And the abundance that arises from this miracle on a deserted spot is so important that it shows up in all four gospels, and it's centered in our gathering, this day, this space, with the table set. It's the realization that we bring to this table our hunger to be filled with abundance so that we can tear out of this place with breathless readiness to feed and clothe and give and serve and love and simply bask in the miracle of life that we will not hold anything back. But we mostly make life small and manageable and predictable and controlled because we do not trust that abundance awaits us. What would it be like to live with an assumption that we have enough? How would our lives be shaped if the assumption of a roaring hunger, panicking, grasping, me at all cost was met with, you have everything you need? And you do. One of Fourth Church's strategic directions is living with a spirit of abundance. And it's interesting to me that this specific strategic direction has been seen as sort of an outlier. 
The other four strategic directions of partnerships with Chicago's neighbors and anti-racism, embracing young adult ministry as we know they are our future, and technology are seen as the real deal, and living with a spirit of abundance seems somehow out of place. And maybe it is if we live in the mode of managing our lives and the church being an extension of what happens in the commerce of daily living. But this moment in the Christian narrative when abundance pours out on a vast throng of seekers through the unsteady waiting hands of disciples helps us see what the Jesus possibility is. It is daring to live in the alternative world of discipleship, seeing through the eyes and ears and heart of Jesus, and it is so vast, so rich, so blessed, so there, that it waits for you to be bold, to be asking for the daily bread, to sing the song of Zion, and usher in the alternative, miraculous, soaring life that lives right there in your skin for the sake of the world. Through Christ, amen.